Welcome to the Weekly Insight Podcast, where we break down the noise of the week and help you understand the psychology of the markets with your host, Andrew Dore at Insight Wealth Group. Good morning. Welcome to the latest edition of the Weekly Insight Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Andrew Dore. Thank you for taking some time to be with us today. I'll start how I start every week and just remind you that what you're about to hear today should not be construed as individual investment advice, but instead as just a discussion about where we see the market and the economy today and the direction we think it might be going. If you think this might apply to your personal investment situation, we'd encourage you to give us a call. Have a conversation with us about how this might relate to your portfolio. With that, let's dive in. I talked in our last podcast, which was a week ago, about how the previous week, so two weeks ago, had been a bit of a roller coaster ride. And when I talked about that, I said something to the effect of this week, meaning last week, is not going to be much better as everyone focuses on Thursday morning and the incoming CPI data. Boy, did it not disappoint. <laughs> In fact, you know, the chart for October so far through the first half of the month looks a lot like a roller coaster. A very steep ride at the top, followed by a big drop, followed by a whole bunch of loop de loops. And much like a roller coaster ride, where do you end up at the end of a roller coaster ride? right where you started. And that's where we are in the S&P 500 today. I think the market is down 0.07% for the month. So basically we've gone nowhere with a whole lot of drama. And the biggest drama this week was the CPI report and the market's response to it was frankly fascinating. So let's dive into that first. Last week's podcast was entitled something to the effect of bad jobs good, good jobs bad. And I was talking about how bad employment data was seen by the market as good news and good employment data was seen by the market as bad news. And so this week the market threw us a little curveball on Thursday when it applied that exact same logic to the CPI data. First, let's talk about what the CPI data was and what expectations for the CPI data were, because in all aspects, we missed the expectation. Inflation came in higher than the expectation. So core inflation, all items inflation, we've broken that down time and time again. I won't do it to you today, but what we know is that the core inflation month over month expectation was that it would be at 0.5%. It came in at 06 the year over year was 6.5%. It came in at 6.6. The all items month over month was expected to be 0.2. It came in at 0.4. And the all items year over year was expected to be at 8.1. And it came in at 8.2. So as I've said many times, as we've talked about inflation over the last several months, what matters is not really the results of the inflation report, but instead how those results stack up against the expectations that the market had. Last week, by any standard, the results did not meet the expectation. There was an office text thread that morning when the results came out. I was on an airplane and the text came through and it said, that sucks. And that was pretty much how the market responded in the opening minutes of trading. For the first few minutes Thursday morning, the market got killed. But then a remarkable thing happened and it didn't take long. The market actually skyrocketed. The market opened 2.4% below the close in the previous day. 
But then it proceeded to climb 5.96% off that bottom and end the day up, and not just up, but up substantially. It wasn't just a wild ride. It wasn't just a roller coaster ride. It was actually a historic ride. According to MarketWatch, the wild trading that we saw, and they used the Dow Jones Industrial Average as the benchmark for this, this was the first time in history that the Dow Jones rose at least 800 points in the same trading day that it was down at least 500 points. So what caused all the wild changes? Why did the market react so negatively as anticipated, but then end up being so positive over this inflation data? I think there are a couple of arguments that are worth looking at. The first says that despite the misses on inflation, the market was finally starting to understand that inflation over time is moderating. And there's a gentleman, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but Christian Vid, I believe, of Wells Fargo Private Bank, who did a post on this that I thought was fascinating. And what he showed was the quarter over quarter chart of inflation, and it shows it falling dramatically. And, and I'm just going to quote him on this because he said, quote, no reason to panic about CPI figures. Again, for some reason, investors were initially fainted by the inflation headlines. CPI is actually decelerating based on more more recent trends. Focus on the signal, not the noise. Annualized quarter-over-quarter CPI is almost flat. The Federal Reserve does not look at the headline numbers. It is easy to sensationalize 8% plus print when the comps are what they are. Fast forward a few months, and it will naturally moderate lower if recent trends persist. It's simple math, end quote. You know, frankly, this is a summation of what I've been saying on this podcast for some time now. And after a while, I do start to feel like I'm hitting my head against the wall on this issue. It makes it hard to assume that the broader market finally woke up on Thursday morning and just got on board with the conversation. But any positive direction, this uh, positive movement in this direction, I guess is good. But I'm a little bit cynical. The other argument, the cynical argument, is that Thursday was a big short cover, meaning people who had shorted the market needed to pick up shares to cover that short position. They essentially said, this is a really good low position, so we're going to buy some stocks to cover that position. CNBC quoted a gentleman, Adam Sarhan, who's the founder of 50 Park Investments, saying that Thursday's moves were likely, quote, a combination of short covering and value investors stepping in, end quote. I'll see, you know, we'll see in the long run, but I would agree with Sarhan's next comment, which was that earnings season will likely serve as another catalyst moving forward. And earnings season kicked off, well, unofficial kickoff, was Friday with the banks. Let's end this by talking a little bit about earnings. Because much like CPI, earnings end up being all about perception, all about expectation. I've talked in detail in previous podcasts, so I won't do it again, but how analysts typically downgrade their expectations the closer we get to earnings reports. They are constantly lowering the bar. Why? I would argue because they don't want to look stupid. They fear looking stupid if earnings miss what they are projecting. So the current expectation for earnings growth right now for Q3 is 1.6%. That actually came down again last week, and it's down from where it was on September 30th when it was at 2.8%. That is an incredibly low bar. In fact, if 1.6% ends up being the final number, that will be the lowest earnings growth for a quarter since Q3 2020 when earnings actually were negative 5.7%. So 
With that backdrop, Friday we had the first big day of earnings. It was bank day. Most of the big banks report at the beginning of the quarter all on the same day. And the numbers on their face were pretty stark. The banks reported a 13% drop in earnings compared with Q3 2021. But what really drove those numbers? We've talked in the past about a data group that we look at called FactSet, and they had some interesting data on Friday afternoon that I think is worth understanding. Now, you, like me, are probably not an expert in banks, but you may be familiar with the term loan loss reserves. Loan loss reserves are essentially banks saying, listen, we think we're going to have some losses and loans, so we're going to write down our earnings to offset for that now. Those losses may or may not happen, but those reserves that they create negatively impact earnings. So you may remember that in 2020, banks were creating huge reserves for loan losses, and that helped drive their earnings down pretty drastically. But many of those losses actually never happened. And so in 2021, they had to redo their balance sheet and show negative loan loss reserves, meaning that they actually had to show a growth in their balance sheet, a growth in their earnings for those losses that never happened. So all of last year, we had this negative number for loan loss reserves. Well, this year, they're now starting to get back to where they have historically been with regards to loan loss reserves. So we finally started to see in Q2, the market starting to build or the bank starting to build some loan loss reserves. And this quarter, that number jumped dramatically for the industry so far to about $5.1 billion. That means $5.1 billion in paper losses for the banks. By the way, very similar with what we saw pre-pandemic. If you look from Q1-19 to Q4-19, you see that the banks had roughly between 6 and $6.7 billion a quarter in loan loss reserves. So don't think that this is some really big, scary number that the banks are expecting massive losses. That's not what they're saying. But FactSet went on and I provided a great example of this. And that example was Citigroup. And Citigroup in Q3 of 2020 reported $2.26 billion in loan loss reserves, basically meaning they they had a paper loss on their earnings of $2.26 billion, essentially money they were setting aside for losses. But in Q3 of 2021, they had to show a negative loan loss, meaning $192 million that was positive for earnings that quarter. Well, now this quarter, they came back out. So a year later, so we've gone Q3 of 2020 to Q3 of 2021. Now we're in Q3 of 2022. And this quarter, they came out with $1.37 billion in loan loss reserves. So that is a massive swing. But it also, you have to remember, we look at earnings year over year. So we look at Q3 of last year to Q3 of this year. That means that from 2021 to 2022, we saw about a $1.5 billion reduction in earnings for Citigroup. Now, did Citigroup really lose $1.562 billion? No. Did they really earn $1.562 billion less this quarter than last year at this time? No. In fact, the bank reported that their revenues grew pretty substantially this quarter versus a year ago. Revenues were actually up 6%. So this is a big paper loss, but that is impacting what the market is seeing for earnings throughout the market. So 
We're going to know a lot more about how all this will pan out over the next few weeks. We're going to get a lot of earnings data, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot on this podcast. But the expectation right now is that earnings are going to be very low. My expectation is that that is a very low bar to clear, and the market should be able to clear it. And that should be accretive to the market as we head into the next round of drama. What's the next round of drama? Coming up, election day, and we have a Fed meeting coming up. We're going to be addressing those topics a lot more in the next couple of weeks on this podcast. So we'll wrap it up there. If you have any questions or any comments, like to talk about this with us, please don't hesitate to give me a call. You can reach us at the office at 515-273-1333. Or as always, you can visit us on the web at www.insightwealthgroup.com. I hope you have a great week. We look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care. Securities offered through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, NFA. Investment advisory services offered through RTA Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment firm.